The first brethren knew what war looked like. Alexander Mack and his followers had lived through the Nine Years' War in a heavily contested region which had some of the most intense fighting as the Holy Roman Empire fought France for control of his village. The Nine Years' War included 680,000 military deaths to say nothing of civilian deaths. Of course, this was a minor conflict when compared to the Thirty Years' War, which by the founding of the Brethren Church in 1708 had been about as recent as the Vietnam War is for us today. In a war fought ostensibly between Protestant and, and Catholic Christians, there were, about, there were between four and a half and eight million casualties. Some villages lost more than half of their entire population. Nevertheless, most paintings of this conflict show a romantic vision of war. As a young child, I was very interested in military history. Growing up in Frederick, Maryland, one of the ways that I bonded with my dad was by visiting nearby Civil War battlefields like Gettysburg, Antietam, and Monocacy. No doubt, I was taken by the stories of bravery and the heroics of people like Joshua Lawrence Chamberlain and the famous divisions like the Iron Brigade, the 20th Maine, and the 1st Minnesota. But the picture of the war that has stuck with me to this day looked nothing like these romantic paintings of the wars which were experienced by the early brethren. Instead, the picture in my head was a photograph by Matthew Brady, which I remember staring at for a really long time at the age of nine or 10. The invention of photography allowed for a hyper-realistic capture of the reality of war. There was no ideology which sanitized it and replaced it with majestic horses and stringing banners. Certainly, such stories of gallantry of both armies still existed, and the glorifications of heroes will never end. But all of those can't help but fall silent when confronted with the pictures of the contorted bodies of the Confederate dead strewn about beside the Hagerstown Pike. In a country that has not seen a major war on its own mainland soil since the Civil War, it can be easy to forget the lessons captured in the photos of Matthew Brady and instead create memories that look more like those paintings of the Thirty Years' War. But that is a mistake, and it's one that brethren were able to see through. The stark reality of war captured in these photos still exists, and I think that Matthew Brady's photos vindicate the brethren. Far from being idealistic peaceniks, the early brethren viewed war much more soberly than their countrymen who produced many such paintings. All this to say that the Brethren Peace Focus was not developed by bright-eyed, romantic idealists, but by people who had first-hand experiences of the horrors of war. Instead of glorifying war like their contemporaries, the Brethren decided to bear witness to a different kind of kingdom and a different kind of king. They recognize that the power and authority of Jesus is a completely different kind of power and authority than the ones that are backed by violence. During the seasons of, season of Christmas, Christians have this underappreciated and scandalous tradition, which was started by three wise men. During the time of Augustus Caesar, the most powerful man of history with the might of the Roman legions backing him, the wise men recognized that the true king of kings was the tiny infant lying in a feeding trough born to parents too poor to afford a place to stay. They brought gifts and paid homage to Jesus because they knew who actually deserved their loyalty and who actually was in charge, even if he latched the trappings of the royal robe and the crown. 
And all this was foreshadowing to an even more scandalous pronouncement made by Christians for centuries. And that's the scene at Calvary, where Jesus was seemingly caught in the middle of what would become a centuries-long power struggle between the Jewish authorities and the Romans. But instead, Christians see that the one who was really in charge is the one being crucified half-naked between two criminals and crying out in agony. They see the crown of thorns and call it a real crown. They see the purple robe used to mock him and call it royalty. And they see the bloody cross and call it the throne where the true king and savior of the world was coronated. And if the brethren see Jesus as a different kind of king, then they see the Christian as a different kind of citizen. If Jesus wanted to lead a violent revolt, he would have had plenty of options. Galilee had been a hotbed of revolutionary activity, and Jesus would have witnessed a revolt put down near his hometown at the age of 10. He would have had plenty of followers, not to mention heavenly armies to call down at his whim. But instead, he conquered the world by giving himself up in love and sacrifice and voluntary suffering for those he came to redeem. And now his kingdom contains billions of citizens. I get a similar feeling looking at a particularly gruesome crucifix as I do looking at Matthew Brady's picture of the dead at Antinum. And that's because it was there that God suffered the weight of the violence and suffering of the world. And as citizens of the kingdom of the king that was coronated on the cross, we are called to suffer with Christ alongside all those who suffer from violence, whether on the wrong end of a rifle or of a slaver's whip. And if Christ lives within us, then we have brought Christ to those who suffer, and even as he himself still suffers on the cross. If you read abolitionist literature from this time period, from the Battle Hymn of the Republic to Lincoln's second inaugural address, there is a strong sense that the Civil War was God's punishment for the evils of American slavery. As Lincoln said, God wills that the war continue until all the wealth piled by the bondsmen's 250 years of unrequited toil shall be sunk, and until every drop of blood drawn from the lash shall be paid by another drawn with the sword. I believe that the abolitionists were right that God was acting decisively in this war. But just like at Christmas, I do not think that he could be seen in the watchfires of a hundred circling camps any more than he could be seen with Augustus Caesar or those Galileans that re who revolted against him. Instead, he was in the Dunker Church and those like it, where simple Christians imitated Christ's sufferings by caring for the sick and the wounded, where they gave up their own lives to rebuild the broken infrastructure of war and to feed the hungry. By their suffering and by their self-sacrificial love, they freed others and began to free themselves from the suffering of this world, just as Christ freed them from the tyranny of sin.